Thanks, Mike. That is a great opportunity with the Global Fingerprints. Uh, that is part of our ministry to church planners in Vietnam because that child sponsorship uh, allows them to develop connections with kids and, and families in their neighborhoods. And so whether you want to uh, support that through the concert this weekend or the Thanksgiving Compassion Fund, we love to see our church just rally around these church planners that I was with this past week. I just got, uh, just got back yesterday from Vietnam, and it was just a fantastic week of training there. I was there along with a teaching team from around the Pacific Rim. We had Justin White from Harbor West, uh, Ryan Kwan from San Francisco, and then Seima Aoyagi from Japan, from Tokyo. And so just, a, just rock stars that I was teaching along with. And uh, we had just a great time together with these Vietnamese church planners and pastors. And at the end of the conference, it was so powerful. Uh, they brought up five tribal pastors, tribal church planters, who are taking the gospel to unreached people groups there in Vietnam. Each one of these five guys is planting the first church in his tribe. First time the gospel has gone out in an organized way in their tribe. And they had these five guys pray over us in their native tribal languages. And it was just so powerful. As they were praying, I was just weeping. Literally just, just, just a waterfall of tears coming out of my face because it felt like we were standing there in heaven. Every tribe, nation, and tongue all gathered together to bring glory to God. It was just one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. Right after that, then, uh, they took us up to this little village called Kuchi, and that was another powerful experience, just in a different way. Uh, Kuchi was a village during the Vietnam War where the whole village decided to, to rise up in opposition. Um, it's right next to Saigon, so it was part of the South Vietnam, but this, this village just decided they, they basically formed their own guerrilla warfare unit. Almost every man, woman, and child in the village became a soldier. Uh, they dug 150 miles of tunnels under their village. Uh, that way, when there were bombing raids, when there were soldiers coming through, they could all just hide and be protected. But then they would come out and fight sometimes against the Americans. Uh, our tour guide, Vin, he showed us how this village lived. Uh, he was born and raised in Kuchi. His grandparents uh, on both sides were all part of this guerrilla little fighting unit that arose. And so he would show us how they fought. Uh, he showed us some of the booby traps that they created to kill Americans. And he was very, very proud of how many Americans his grandparents killed. As he was talking, as an American, I was just getting more and more disturbed. Just disturbed to hear about all of these Americans that his grandparents had killed. To me, it was disturbing to think about. But it was so clear to, that to Vin, it was liberating to think about. Because his grandparents and their generation in this little village, they didn't know anything about communist government or democratic government. All they knew was that there was some group of men who had come from across the ocean to their little village and just started shooting. And so from Vin's perspective, he was so proud of the fact, he cheered the fact that somebody took this evil that they were experiencing seriously. Somebody was willing to do the hard work to stop evil. Somebody cared about the victims of evil. In his perspective, he was celebrating judgment against evil. And we all do that. 
as I was listening to him, I was just reflecting on the fact that we all celebrate judgment when it happens to somebody else. We especially celebrate judgment when it happens to somebody who we feel has wronged us. We just don't like to see judgment when it happens to ourselves. It's all a matter of perspective. And so, as we continue our look at Revelation, we're going to see a whole lot of judgment, especially in the next couple of chapters. And it's going to feel disturbing. It's going to feel disturbing, just like I felt standing there in Vietnam listening to our tour guide, Vin, celebrate the Americans who were killed. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel disturbing like that. But what I hope is that we will learn to see it as liberating. We'll learn to see it like my tour guide felt there. Because judgment, rightful judgment, it is good news. Rightful judgment tells us that God takes evil seriously. That he is willing to do the hard work to stop evil. That he cares about the victims of evil. That's what we're going to see in the next few chapters of Revelation. So, if you've got your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. And remember, this is a letter to suffering Christians. They're going through terrible suffering and persecution, kind of like the villagers in Kuchi went through. And these suffering Christians, they're asking if it's ever going to end. They're asking God, is he ever going to put an end to the suffering and evil in this world? They're asking if justice is ever going to be done. And so this letter is God's answer to that question. In this section, remember, Jesus, he's opening God's last will and testament for the world. He's unsealing the scroll. Jesus is the executor of God's will. He's the only one who's qualified to carry out God's plan for the world. And part of God's plan includes judgment. It includes judgment, and it's going to sound scary, terrifying to us, but we got to remember how encouraging this would have been for those suffering Christians 2,000 years ago. They see victory in God's judgment. They experienced victory as they heard about God's judgment, and, and that's what God wants us to experience. I want us to really experience this, because John said to us in Revelation 1, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. And I want to be blessed. I think you want to be blessed. So we're just going to read and read and read. I'm going to read all of Revelation 8 and 9 all at once. So you can follow along if, if you want in your Bible, or you can just listen. Just kind of drink it in. So Jesus is unsealing God's last will and testament. Here we go in Revelation 8, verse 1. John says, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in the front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. And so a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. 
and all the green grass was burned up. Verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. And so a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And so many of the people died from the waters because they'd been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. I looked, and I, I heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. Revelation 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. And then locusts came up out of the smoke onto the earth, and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions. So that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. They had as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has the name Apollyon. Verse 12, the first woe has passed. There are still two more woes to come after this. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. From the four horns of the golden altar that is before God, I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. And so the four angels who were pre prepared for the hour, day, month, and year, were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like heads of lions, and from their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails because their tails, which resemble snakes, have heads that inflict injury. Verse 20, the rest of the people 
who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And Lord, these are some disturbing things, frightening things, powerful symbols of the evil and wickedness in this world, powerful symbols of the enemy that's come against us in this world. But Lord, at the same time, we can see so clearly your work in the world. We can see so clearly the power that you have. So Lord, while we are disturbed, frightened, I pray that we would also be encouraged and refreshed, that you would give us hope. We see a lot of disturbing things in the world around us, but Lord, use your word in Revelation here to show us how you will put an end. You will put an end to wickedness and suffering. All through the death and resurrection and reign of King Jesus. Help us to worship Jesus because of your word today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, we just experienced a whole lot of judgment. And we can see how powerfully significant all of this is based on what happened before all of this. Go back in your Bible, if you still got it open, go back to chapter 1, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, that's everything that we're seeing here, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's silence in heaven because everybody in heaven is standing in awe at what God is doing here. Think about that. All of the praise that's gone on in all of heaven for all of eternity, it stops for half an hour. This nonstop party, celebration that's been happening in heaven for all of eternity, it gets shut down for half an hour. Why? Because everybody in heaven wants to turn and look at what God's doing on earth. All the angels in heaven are craning their necks to see what God is doing on earth. So what is it that God wants these angels to see? What is it that God wants the suffering saints in the, in the seven churches to see? What does God want us to see? Here's number one. What God wants to, uh, us to see is justice. You see that all through this passage justice. Look at chapter 8, verse 2 again. Verse 2, John says, I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. Okay, so the angels in heaven are taking the prayers of the saints. They're putting them on the altar before God. Your prayers right now are being magnified by the angels, refined by the Holy Spirit and magnified by the angels to present before God 
They're adding incense to your prayers, offering your prayers before God. And what are we praying? What is it that we pray all the time? The same thing we heard the saints praying earlier in Revelation. How long, O oh Lord? That's what they were praying. How long, O oh Lord? How long do we have to sit in this suffering and evil and wickedness around the world? How long will you allow bad stuff to keep happening in the world? That's what we pray. And here's God's answer to his prayer, to, to our prayers. Look at verse four. Here's God's answer. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Okay, what's happening here? God is answering our cry for justice. We're praying for justice, and God is saying, here you go. He starts blowing the seven trumpets, and those seven trumpets are God starting to bring his justice to the world. He's righting all the wrongs in the world. He's ending the evil in the world. And what we got to be real about is that when God ends the wickedness and suffering and evil in the world, it's not going to be rainbows and unicorns that accomplishes that. It's not going to be pretty when God puts an end to evil and suffering in the world. And so these trumpets are God's justice on the world, and it's getting progressively worse. What we saw in these two chapters is what we're going to see in this world at some point. First is God's judgment on the land. That's the first trumpet. And John says that affects the agriculture. Okay, so at some point, you're not going to be able to get nalo lettuce anymore. You're not going to be able to get kamuela tomatoes anymore. It's going to be affected by the justice of God. You'll probably still be able to get Vienna sausage because we can always get Vienna sausage, right? That's just like one constant in the world. Spam and Vienna sausage. We'll always be able to get that until the second trumpet is blown. That's when God's judgment on the seas come. And John says that affects fishing and trade. Oh, no. So Matson, they're, they're going to be put out of business. We won't be able to get Vienna sausage anymore at that point. We won't be able to go dive and spear some fish anymore because the seas will be affected. But at least we can still catch fish in streams. You can, you can go up to Nu'uanu Reservoir and fish for, fish, fish for some catfish for dinner. At least you can do that until the third trumpet gets blown. And then God's judgment will be on fresh water. And that's where it really starts to hit home for us. Because a lot of us right here in the Harbor family had to go live in hotels for a few months because our fresh water got contaminated. You know how impossible it is to live without water, fresh water. You just can't do it. But then it'll get even worse than that. In the fourth judgment, the fourth trumpet, God will be judging the heavens. The sun, the moon, the stars, they'll all be blotted out. A third of them, blotted out. What's going to do that? We don't know. Clouds, volcanic ash, nuclear holocaust, who knows? All we know is it's really tough to do anything if you can't see anything. The light will be blotted out. God is, is going to be using all of these natural forces to enact his justice. And then he'll start unleashing the supernatural forces. With the fifth trumpet, we saw it. Demons are released from hell to torment the earth. They're influencing people to become even more wicked than they ever have. 
You saw the list. Murder, sexual immorality, theft. It just gets worse and worse. The moral decay in this world is going to get worse and worse and worse. People will be tormenting each other because of demonic influences. But the sense we get is that demons will also be directly tormenting people. Like with the sixth trumpet, this army of 200 million. That sounds terrifying. And so some biblical scholars, they've tried to figure out what that is. Is that like India? Is that China? It's got to be some huge country that builds up some army that's influenced by the demons. I think it's just a symbol for the terrifying oppression that demons will bring into the world. We can already see it right now. But it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So much so, it says in chapter 9, verse 6, in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. That's what will happen in those days, and you can already start to see it in these days. I mean, yeah, I know we always want to look like we're all put together. We always want to look and appear like, like we're living our best life now. But what you portray on social media, what you portray to the people at your work, what you portray at parties and family gatherings, a lot of the times that's 180 degrees different from what you actually feel, what you actually experience at 3 a.m. when you're alone in the dark. Most of the people in our world are living hopeless, hopeless lives no matter what they appear on the outside. There's a whole lot of people who seek death and cannot find it. They don't want to go on with life, but they can't bring themselves to end their life. And all of this comes from, from the influence of demons in the world. We can already start to see it. Man, if you don't have Jesus, I honestly don't know how you do it. How do you survive in this world? I just don't know. And that's not, that's not condemnation. That's not like condescension. That's just, that's just pure compassion. Because I know for myself, if I didn't have the love of the Father and the grace of Jesus Christ and, 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 and the power of the Holy Spirit, I would be so miserable in life. I would seek death and not find it every day of my life. Because I can feel the influence of demons all around in the world all the time. I feel it. But here's the good news. What's clear in Revelation is that even though the influence of the demonic world is here and expanding, God is sovereign, even over the demons. And that's the second thing God really wants us to see in this passage. Number two is sovereignty. There's terrible stuff out there, but God is sovereign over it all. You can see his sovereignty all over this passage. Like, look at chapter 9, verse 1 again. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft of the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke came up out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Okay, so the falling star, that's clearly referring to Satan and his fall from heaven. This is something that happened in the past. And then the smoke coming up from the shaft, that's the spread of evil across the world. That's something that we've already seen. We've already seen that happen. 
And that's all happening because the key for that shaft was given to Satan. The key between hell and earth was given to him. Who would have given him this key? Well, Sunday school answer is the right one again here. It's Jesus, okay? Back in chapter 1, we heard that Jesus has the key to death and Hades. So Satan, he didn't take that key from Jesus. He didn't steal that key from Jesus. Jesus gave him the key, but he also gave him some directions on how he could use that key. He gave him some limitations on how he could use that key. So Satan's got power, but it is limited power under God's sovereignty. That's something we really got to understand, family. We got to understand that. I mean, yeah, Satan is not a cartoon character, okay? He's not Wiley Coyote, always trying to blow Jesus up, but only blowing himself up over and over and over again. He's not. He, he has power and authority in some limited sense. So he's not Wiley Coyote, but at the same time, he's not Thanos, okay? He's been given a key, but it's not Thanos' ring. It's not unlimited power. It's a key that can be taken back at any time. Kind of like if you give the key to your house to a friend. You give, give your friend a key to your house and your friend comes over while you're gone on vacation like, I don't know, uses your weights while you're gone. That's cool. You're cool with that. But if your friend uses your key to come over and throw a kegger while you're gone, you're going to have some issues, right? You're going to probably ask for that key back. Same thing with Satan. God, he's got some house rules for Satan just like you would have for anybody using your house. And so God has limitations, even though he allows Satan some freedoms. He has some limitations for Satan to work under. Like it says in uh, chapter 9, verse 5, the demons are not permitted to kill the people in the earth, but only to torment them for five months. These scorpions that came up out of hell, they're not going to be allowed to kill, only to torment. Scorpions can kill, all right? I found this out two days ago when I was crawling through those tunnels in Coochie. I was crawling along. These tunnels are like this big, okay? And they actually doubled their size for fat American tourists like me. They, they, they were actually half the size when these folks were actually living in them. Uh, so we're crawling through these tunnels, and, you know, we're going through a long one, and I see a, a scorpion. Not huge, just, just a tiny white little scorpion right in front of me. And I've seen lots of scorpions in Hawaii, so I don't even think anything of it. I just brush it to the side and keep going. And when I got to the end of the tunnel, I told our tour guide, Vin, you know, hey, I saw a scorpion. I just brushed him to the side. His eyes just got huge. He's like, you touched a scorpion? I'm like, yeah, just, just, you know, brush him. He's like, the scorpion could have killed you. And I'm like, what? Yeah, the scorpions here will kill you. And I'm like, I, I had no idea, but scorpions can kill. Demons can kill, but God has power over the demons. He says, you're not going to be allowed to kill, only to torment. He's holding Satan and his forces back from what they really want to do. The enemy seeks to kill and destroy, but God won't let them. He only allows the demons to go a third of the way. Did you notice that fraction repeated over and over and over again in these two chapters? A third? We heard it eight times. 
A third of the earth will be burned up. A third of the sea will be destroyed. A third of the rivers will be dried up. A third of the waters will become bitter. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars will be darkened. A third of humanity will be killed. A third, a third, a third. It's always only a, just a little fraction. What does that mean? What does that fraction mean? Here's what it means. Mercy. That's the third thing God really wants us to see here. It's his mercy. It's not two-thirds. It's not even a half. It's one-third. God should have wiped all of us out. All of us. But he didn't. He doesn't. He only wipes out a fraction, and that's because of his mercy. And when he does wipe out these things, these people, he's blowing his trumpet as a warning. That's how you see his mercy. In his warnings, he could wipe us out any time, but he doesn't. He, he unleashes his judgment on a fraction of the world, and that's so he can send a warning to the rest of the world. He wants to wake up the world. Man, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience but he shouts to us in our pain. God shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's what these judgments, these trumpets are all about. It's God on his megaphone trying to wake people up. God wants to warn the world. And so when you see natural disasters in the world, when you see human suffering, in the world, when you see demonic influence in the world, that is God's warning to the world. That's how you got to see it. It's God's warning to the world. He's blowing a trumpet to the world. He's being so merciful. He's saying, yeah, this judgment is bad, but it is nothing compared to the full and final judgment that's coming. And so I'm blowing this trumpet to warn you away from it. There's so much of God's mercy in his warning. And there's so much of his mercy also in his protection. He's warning the unbelieving world and he's protecting the believing world that's put their faith in Jesus Christ because he commands the demons not to hurt the people who have the seal of God on their foreheads. The seal of God on their foreheads. Maybe you're like, okay, well, where do I get that seal? That sounds like a good seal to have. Is that a tattoo? Is that like a microchip implant? What kind of seal do we have to get here? to be protected like that. Family, remember, in Ephesians 1, God told us we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our seal. When you've put your trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and his reign over your life, you receive the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That is God's seal on you. Because what does that say? If God is living in you, you are his house. You're his house. Don't you think God has a vested interest in protecting his house? You try and protect your house? Don't you think God wants to take care of his house? Don't you think God wants to defend his house? God is always going to protect you. He's living inside of you. So that's what we've got to take from this disturbing passage. 
There's a lot of disturbing things that we can see in the world right now. There's a lot of disturbing things that are still to come in the world. But when you see disturbing things in your newsfeed, when you experience disturbing things in your life, remember that God is protecting you. If you put your trust in Jesus, God is protecting you. And remember that these things, these disturbing things, they are God's warning to the rest of the world that his judgment is coming. And all of that is really good news. It's good news that God is warning people of his judgment. It's good news that God is enacting his judgment, that God cares about the evil and suffering in this world. Man, there's so many people who ask the question, why does God let bad stuff happen? And what they really mean by that question is, why does God let bad stuff happen to me? Everybody asks that. Well, here's your answer. Here's your answer. God, he's not just allowing stuff to go on forever. When you say, when is he going to do something about it? God says, here's your answer. I'm going to do something about it that's crazy and disturbing and impacting the whole world. But that's the only way to deal with the evil and injustice in this world. So, family, no matter what you're going through right now, Here's what you draw from this. No matter what you are going through right now, it's not going to last forever. When you pray, how long, oh Lord, how long do I got to go through this? He's answering you right now, not forever. Not forever. He's saying, just hold on to me, and we'll make it through together. Let's pray. Father, these are disturbing things that we've seen in your word and rightfully terrifying for anyone who doesn't know Jesus because they will experience the worst of your judgment as it gets progressively worse and worse and worse. So if there's anyone here in this room or anyone watching online who hasn't put their trust in Jesus, who died on the cross to take away their sin and rose from the grave to give them new life, I pray that they would repent of their sin right now. Right now. Confess their sin to Jesus right now so they can receive the forgiveness of Jesus right now. So they can avoid all of God's judgment. For those of us who put our trust in Jesus, I pray that we would be encouraged. Even through these terrifying, disturbing images and symbols and predictions and prophecies that we've seen, Lord, let us find hope that you don't discount our suffering. You don't discount the terrible things that happen to us. That you will bring justice. Help us to find hope in that. Help us to find hope in Jesus, King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.